welcome back to Parry Talks. It's been a while between drinks, but grateful to be back on board. With COVID tying over, this might be the last in podcast for a while, but I had to make a little exception for my guest today. She goes by the name of Pretty Girl. If you're tapped into the Australian dance scene, you've no doubt heard her work. Earlier this year, she released one of the best dance songs in the year in Sun Phase and followed it up with the seller Middle Ground EP out now via gallery. She is by far one of the most requested guests on this show. My DMs have been flying for months. It's been unbearable. People have found my phone number, my address, sending me envelopes, letters saying get PG on the podcast. It's been one of the craziest six months for her. Pretty girl. Welcome to Parry Talks. How are you? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm good. I was just saying before, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather and I'm trying to work out if it's burnout, COVID or hay fever. Um, So awaiting the PCR test results, it's probably all three. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I feel like it's almost all of the above for everybody at the moment as well. There's obviously like the constant COVID angst, but at the same time, like rundown is like rife. It's pandemic 2.0, like in terms of not, that's probably an overstatement, but (laughs) it is so rife at the moment of people just being like, holy shit, do the weeks feel longer now than they did before? Like there's definitely like this, it's a new world, I think, so to say. Totally. Yeah. And I think this year I'm a lot more after last year, I'm more um, aware of the, um, like the ability to become so burned out so quickly after spending, you know, four months or whatever locked up. It's just, it's easy to just lose sight of like your health and to forget about, you know, all all the things that are important to you and just like go um, completely off the rails. So, And it's such a muscle thing as well. Like I've definitely found that like the shit I used to do and doing it again now in terms of not like crazy shit, just like going out (laughs) and like, Someone makes me like, do you want to go for a drink tonight? It's like, yes, I do. Versus mm-hmm. now it's like, it's it's such a training the muscle of energy and like social interaction, I think. And yeah, it's just, I just need to train it back up. Yeah, me too. But I do want to have more of a balance than I did last year. Because last year it's like, as soon as dance floors were open, I just feel like I really hit the ground running and I was playing so many DJ sets and like, just meeting all these new people and like having so much fun. But at the same time, I like really burnt out. Um, And then I like really struggled towards the middle of the year. So I'm hoping this year I'll do it a bit more gradually. Definitely. How was that feeling for you going back out for the first time, like going out, out again? I felt like for me, it was so weird because there was so much hype leading into like the week of being like, got tickets to this thing like I'm so excited to our first night back out but then like once I got into into the line I was like oh it's business as usual I feel like nothing had changed how did you feel it for you yeah I did I did feel that on some level I um I think the novelty wore off really really quickly um and I think also like the reduced capacity clubs and everything sort of put a bit of a um dampener on the whole experience because I don't know if you guys had that in Sydney but we had like the 50 person dance floors and it was just a bit like, Oh, okay. Like why is everyone so awkward? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're still at our, the legally now it's like dance floors are like in between a third and a quarter capacity still for nightclubs. 
Oh, okay. That so sucks. it's like, it, it doesn't make any, it, cause like you can go to a pub and it's like pretty normal inside a pub, but like mm. once it's a nightclub, it's like, no, you're not allowed to go ham or like fill a venue. So there's still that like very eerie in between periods still. Yeah. I think it's, it's so hard um, for most people to, because I guess like a big part of the clubbing experience is like being able to let go and like being lost in the crowd. And when you're in a club where they're relying more on the like smoke machine to fill the room than anything else, like it just really, it you don't get that sort of cathartic release. You feel very like self-conscious and conspicuous. So I just remember I, I went to colour um, when there was like a 50 person limit and it really sucked because they sold tickets for both the rooms, but only like the room that was actually going late could only have a 50 person capacity. Yeah. So we were like locked in there because we were like, we, well, we can't go out. Well, we won't be able to go back in. So um, yeah, it was just like a bit of a weird, eerie feeling of like having like at least a meter's distance between another dancer and just like a bit of like a palpable, like self-consciousness in the air. Definitely. And that's why forever open air parties are the greatest objectively for me. Yeah, totally. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know where you stand on that or if you have a strong opinion on it, but like there's definitely something like so beautiful about like a late club night or like a early, early morning, like or warehouse send, but like four o'clock in the afternoon, there's like, I feel like that's when the not a care in the world sort of part comes into it the most. Definitely. Yeah. And like I, as I sort of went through my, like as I got more and more, I guess, attuned to partying, I started appreciating those moments more. Less, I think you just like, at first it was more about going into a dark room and, you know, getting lost in the in the sub base and, you know, not really knowing what's going on and you kind of feel like um, you blend in and everything. And you're like, yeah, as I said, in the darkness. And then I started to appreciate that whole open air, 4 p.m. sun coming down on you thing. Yeah. But then I, again, I wrote a whole song about it. And we'll talk about it. <laughs> but for me, there's nothing better than, and you, you know, you're from Melbourne, you know about this. <laughs> Sydney, it's a bit more rare. The parties that, you know, will have, you know, the, the from, you know, the midnight, to midday parties, the greatest things in the world. So like you get someone playing like crazy minimal from 6am to 8am. And then after 8am, everyone walks into like a courtyard and it's like, oh, the sun rises. Like that is the most pure feeling in the world, I think. Yeah, that's, I actually haven't been to a party like that. I've been to a 24 hour party where all the windows were blacked out (laughs) at lounge. (laughs) Um, So that had much more of like a demonic hedonistic element. Um, the whole like 8am, wow, I'm so happy I'm here thing. That doesn't really happen for me that much. I have to admit if it's 8am, I'm normally like, oh my God, why did I do it again? (laughs) Well, yeah, I talk about, and I think everyone reflects on this one experience in this city most recently, like seeing Kia, seeing Kia into Waxo Paradiso (laughs) from like 6am until midday just changed my life. Yeah, I, it looked like a very spiritual <laughs> dance event. So I saw videos and I was like, what the fuck, that looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I posted about it like 18 times as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to talk about you, 
because it's your podcast effectively. Last year, you did hint at going out a lot. I want to dive more into that from, you know, not a hedonistic standpoint, but a, you know, awakening standpoint. Um, What do you think the most learning you did about either dance music or dance music cultures or just anything in that world? You know, what did, what did that period of time open your eyes to? Oh, um, it made me feel so much more connected to other people than I ever had before. And it really sort of like was such an eye-opening experience to how everyone is very similar and like it, the experience of like a lot of empathy that you have with other people. And I think also the lack of judgment for the most part that exists in like the electronic music scene, it just really revolutionized like the way I felt about myself. And like, cause I, um, when I was in high school, I was, you know, I like struggled socially and I never really felt like anyone understood me. And, you know, I went to like a private girls school. And so there were all these really tense social sort of faux pas and all these expectations of everyone. And then I remember the first night I went out, I went to Revolver. (laughs) Um, And I was just like, I was so shocked at the fact that there were all these people just wanting to meet me and say hi and everyone was so friendly and you know on drugs but like you know it was a I I just felt so shocked at like how open everybody was and how like accepted I felt you know in a room of complete strangers and that just totally changed um you know I I I started seeing myself as just like so much more similar to everyone else around me and like every, that these people or this culture understood me. Um, and that's like on a personal level, definitely the effect that it had on my life. And then, you know, I've met some of my best friends um, through this like culture or this, this genre, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did that make any sense? Yeah, I that made like, out of it. it made like, <laughs> perfect sense good um how was where was your taste at during that period where was it was did you already enjoy that type of music and then you found your place for it or was were you an eager ready to open your eyes child effectively and it, that's where your learning began for your just general music listening and general music taste well I have always had a taste for dance music in all its forms but I just never really knew what it was I didn't know how to look for it I just knew that there were some types of music that just made me feel a really special way um but when when I was like socializing in uh, in high school and like especially when I was developing my own taste in music no one at, at my high school listened to dance music it was actually like sort of looked down upon um and so I remember with that first night that I went out to revs, I was like, oh my God, like this is the music that I like and that I've liked for so long on this huge speaker system and everyone here is loving it. And I, it just all sort of fit together for me in that moment. Like I just really felt like I, I mean, I don't really listen to revs music anymore, but you know, just the the experience of being in that sort of environment with that energy really connected something in my brain that 
I always knew was there, but I, I never like um, could have, I never, I was never able to access it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't listen to Rev's music anymore. Um, as someone <laughs> that's never been to Rev's, I'm not going to judge you for that. But I think that that glory phase in entering a scene is like the most beautiful time I think ever because it's before all the pressure and the, you know, the social dynamics and yeah. the social climbing. It feels like they're just like being a baby is just so, you know, beautiful and pure. And yeah, it's just such a wholesome experience. Cause I feel like so many people reflect on the exact experience that you had, which is yeah. like so wholesome and beautiful. Yeah. Um, it, it truly was like a spiritual night for me. Um, and yeah, even though like now I'm sure that if I went to Rev's on that same night, I would be like, what is this tribal house music? <laughs> I like, like this wide dude's playing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I uh, like, I feel that, e- yeah, even if I went back now with my standards and my knowledge now, and I probably wouldn't enjoy it. It still really sticks in my mind as such a, like, which is one of the best nights of my life. Definitely. That's so beautiful. <laughs> the best night of my life. Yeah. Um, what sort of music were you making around that time? Were you making music around that time? Was making music something that was on your mind during that time? Yeah, I was, Um, that was back in my garage band days. So I was making a, like a breed of sort of like dream bedroom pop. Um, I was really inspired by. Um, Claro. I wish I wish I was like cool enough to know Clara back then. I was really inspired by like the 1975. I I, I love the 1975. I was like listening to them today. Um, and that sort of like really expository lyric, lyrical thing. And um, I would just like make all these songs about my feelings and post them on SoundCloud and like look to see who was listening to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gorgeous. Um and how much do you think, not just that specific night, but you obviously kept going out and you kept engaging and kept socialising and doing all these things. Um, how formative do you think those further experiences were in, you know, eventually manifesting into the EP that you have made today? Um, well, I'd say very formative because the EP is supposed to be sort of like a journal or like a expository um, uh, account of the past four years of my life or the past four years of my life one year ago. Um, and there were a lot of experiences I had throughout that time because it it's, it's a really it's a really tumultuous and like chaotic time um, from when you're like 18 to 22. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I think there were a lot of experiences within those years that um, have that contributed to the kind of melancholy, sad tone of the EP, but also a sort of journey into um, adolescence. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I always think about that. And I wonder if you reflect on this as well, where I feel like I've learned so much over the past couple of years, just about myself and my taste and my friends and all these things. And I feel like weirdly settled now. And I can't tell if being sort of settled and comfortable 
um, when I was used to so much rapid change, is it mm. like makes me anxious or not? Like, I yeah. don't know. No, I think about that too. I think about the fact that things are always changing. I'm always like, you know, I, I tend to get really analytical and really reflective and really sort of strategic. And, you know, I'm constantly like, um, like strategizing about, you know, who I want to spend time with and like where I want to be and what I want to do. And um, I feel like it's sort of a hedonic treadmill in some way. Cause I'm like, if I'm not always chasing after something to to be improved in my life, like if I get there, like, will I actually be happy? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Do you like, and I guess everyone's so different in this. And I've been having these conversations a lot about grind culture, Mm. like about whether with work or with, you know, socially or like with like a passion project or whatever where I feel very inclined to like be like I don't want to sit at my desk and have nothing going on like because that that just makes me feel weird like I never watch movies or tv shows because of that because I just feel like I'd rather just be working so Mm. this is this sort of started as a lighthearted question but I guess it's pretty serious now (laughs) like do you think you're like more of like the grind type or do you like having very on and off moments in work in life Um, it's a difficult question to answer, honestly, because I feel that I really oscillate between being like 100% focused, grinding, blah, blah, blah. And then just being like a complete mess. Um, and I think that there is a lot of pressure to constantly be on all the time and to be, you know, working towards something amazing and everyone has to have their thing. And, you know, you've got to, you know, also doing one thing isn't enough. Like you've got to differentiate, you've got to have a, you've got to make a zine, you've got to like run a charity. Like, you know, you it's, I think social media definitely contributes to it because there is this idea that like everyone is constantly, you know, um, yeah, grinding, getting that yeah, bread. Definitely. It's, it's, it, I think it gets toxic. Like I, uh, productivity definitely isn't, Like, I think it's good to be productive, but I think that if all you're aiming for in life is productivity, it's very like spiritually disenfranchising. Definitely. And I think the funny thing about engaging in our world, this might be such like an insular conversation to someone listening, being like, (laughs) I just want to know what pretty girls like, but we're just talking about like our personal deep thoughts. Um, When I'm alone at night, sometimes (laughs) I just think, am I good enough? (laughs) Um, I think about it's so much crazier in music cultures where I feel like in my most sacred times, which for me is going out and dancing to music, there's almost an element of like, this is technically work. Like I could technically Mm. write about this or I could technically cover this or I could technically think about this from a work standpoint. It's like, oh, this DJ is sick. I wonder what their fee is. Or I wonder if they're available in the city for the next fortnight. Or I wonder if they want to do a podcast. So do you get that thing of like now it's almost like you're like living a dream almost, but sometimes that dream can become numb because it's like it's hard to turn off? Totally. And like this is something that I've recently been feeling a bit conflicted about is like I'm missing, like going back to what we were talking about before, that whole like um, being a baby in the world of electronic music, I'm missing that sort of, um, that sparkle and that euphoria and that, you know, pure pleasure around music and, you know, 
events and like engaging with music because now I'm so consumed constantly thinking about you know like myself as an artist but also about all of the factors in the industry yeah and you know it just all this like just stupid stuff all the time yeah yeah um so this conversation doesn't get too grim yeah sorry I'm gonna like no 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 for both of us because now I'm thinking about like oh it's six o'clock on a Monday night and I'm like doing this podcast that makes me no money anyway but I'm joking I'm joking um I think an interesting thing that I've noticed a lot about you is just talking about the the idea of a live show and so much in the in the past year has changed for you with your career and you know your fans and your space and all that stuff um but you haven't really had an opportunity to perform live in so long Mm -hmm. have you had any big revelations about the idea of performing live or your live set itself throughout lockdown that you're just like so angsty to get out um do you mean as in like the uh, things I will be doing in the live set or like my attitude towards the live set I think both I think yeah your attitude to what performing live is as well as like just things you're changing and things are evolving into yeah I I have been working on the live set sort of non-stop um and uh because I just like to put it on and just pretend I'm playing it live um so it's definitely going to be a lot more upbeat um and then in terms of what I'm gonna do I don't know I've (laughs) like I really I've been adding new songs to it and I've been sort of like weeding through it and looking at the way the energy flows throughout the set but I oh I've been thinking about incorporating hardware but I just thinking I haven't actually done anything towards that. Definitely. Talk through the inspo behind having a live set, like from the beginning, from having stalked you for this interview, <laughs> like you've been doing live sets for a long time. Um, so many electronic artists, and this isn't a critique at all, are very focused on the idea of having a pristine DJ set, which I think is beautiful and both have their own perks and benefits. Um, but talk through that motivation, even initially and to now of the live set being like a crux of, you know, when people see Pretty Girl live, they're seeing a live set. Like, why is that so important to you? Um, well, deciding to do a live set in the beginning wasn't even really a decision for me. I just um, had always made music um, and I'd always been a singer and a True. performer So I think that, you know, I bought a MIDI keyboard and I just said like, okay, I'll do a live set. Um, And then I remember I got asked to do a DJ set in like 2019, like a long time ago. And I remember saying like, sorry, I can't DJ. I can only play live. Like I, 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 I I didn't buy decks until like maybe six months later. So I've just, it's, it wasn't really a conscious decision, but it's, it has really contributed to what I think pretty girls become now. Definitely. That's so interesting. Um, I'm going to pause and take a break because I desperately need to go to the toilet. Yeah, that's fine. I need to put on a t-shirt. It's so hot in here. Or I have a fever. <laughs> um, um, and we're back. Sorry if there was a little weird cut or pause there. Just talking about the live set and you built a lot of momentum around the project without, Oh, this is going to sound so horrible and you can can pay me out for this without doing like a whole lot because it was locked down and it was just like 
just such a weird time mm. um, last year and this year, a couple remixes and that. But there was so much momentum beating, building up the sun phase, like the viral snippet, as they say. Um, and even though it wasn't technically your debut single, it definitely felt like a big breakthrough moment per se, where it's like PG is here and she's here to stay. <laughs> um, what do you think the main difference was for you, um, the music you were creating before sun phase and then leading into sun phase and with sun phase was, you know, what changed in your attitude your music creating abilities for you to reach this almost like crescendo of like, this makes sense for my project. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, writing sun phase did encourage me to sort of trust myself more as a producer. Cause, um, you know, I, it's so hard when you're a young producer, especially like not to get into identity stuff but especially when you're a young woman um no you know, don't say not to get into it okay. like, this is this is this is the time okay well it's it's very hard being a young producer and you know uh constantly having these doubts about your abilities and constantly having these doubts about like your capacity to build those abilities as well um, because especially, you know, you, when you listen to music, you're listening to music that is not just made by professionals, but has been mixed and mastered by professionals, you know, has had, uh, lots of input from other creators. You know, you're listening to this, like highly, this, um, you know, this really well-made music. And then to compare that to your like dog shit demos is, is, can be a really like, um, challenging uh, it's, it's a big challenge on your self-esteem, but I think when I made sun phase, I was, I felt a bit more, I felt that I had a bit more agency as a producer. Um, and I think that, you know, the response that people have given it has just been out of this world. And it's really made me feel a lot more confident and a lot more sort of capable. Definitely. And you touched on it. So I'm going to dive in head first and you might not feel a big type of way about it but I think it's important to ask anyway, like the music industry generally is like overtly sexist, like structurally, just with the way who works at labels and who mm. releases music and who the A&Rs are and who does this and who does that, who the promoters are, you name it. Just like there's a lot of visible things that aren't good enough in the music industry. What sort of like, how do you think that affected your either motivation, your idea of yourself your idea of yourself as a producer like were there any tangible things that you could definitely take away from you know you building your confidence being a non-mal I think that um I in a lot of ways have been inspired by the fact that there's little representation and like the fact that it is such a boys club because I mean ever since I was a child like I've really enjoyed um uh challenging gender stereotypes in the like you know I always used to play footy when I was like every time we did inter-school sports when I was a kid I'd be like I'm doing footy um just to I don't know because I, I I guess when I recognize that something may be abnormal or you know not it's it not abnormal but like you know what I mean it's like unusual for a woman yeah. to do a certain thing I I feel really um inspired to do it um and I think that comes from my upbringing like my mom um was the first 
uh, surgeon of her specialty in Australia. And so I think that that sort of like it's it's um, bled into me really feeling the need to challenge stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Shout out to Mrs. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually Dr. Girl. Oh, yeah, true. True. <laughs> Dr. Girl. That sounds Dr. so. Dr. Professor Girl. That sounds so cooked, but like your last yeah, name, no. your last name is actually Girl. People don't yeah. understand that. Like, no, my first name is Pretty. My last name is Girl. People always like, I love the change in conversation because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but it, like, people Same. always like, oh, how'd you get your, um, you know, your artist name? It's like, that's my I'm name. Like, artist name? Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pretty From Girl. My parents. <laughs> imagine, your na- imagine your name is actually Pretty Girl. Uh, people might give you a bit of shit for it being contrived. I don't know, or conceited. My my daughter's middle name one day is going to be like PG, whatever PG. <laughs> um, on Sunface, what was that feel? I can't imagine, like, because I'm no artist. Um, you know, I've done the record label thing a little bit, and I get a bit nervous before releases. But what was that feeling like, like night before Sunface came out? Like, was it hype? Was it energy? Was it tension? Was it anxiety? Was it confidence? Just what was, I can't imagine what was going through your head. I, well, I think that um, I didn't expect much from it. Um, I think given the response that it had, it would be fair to assume that I was like very anxious or very, um, uh, like I was very, I was, what's the word? Like, I was like, waiting. It was a lot of pent up energy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, I was just like, got a song out tomorrow. It might go really well. Could get a thousand plays. Like, yeah. You know, I, I didn't, I did not expect in any way the response that it had. So it, um, it was, I was shocked, honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, the, the natural follow-up question to that is, and I think it's super interesting that it came the way it did with the narrative of your project and, you know, where it's come to now. But why didn't you think Sunface fit on the EP? Why didn't I think it fit yeah. on the EP? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it just, it, it was a standalone song always. And I think that, I think, I think it was like sonically very different to the other songs that are on the EP. And I think that, it meant something very different to me. It, it was, a, you know, I'd made it for a different reason. So it didn't, if I would tell a story with middle ground, Sunface wasn't really going to be part of that. Story. And like, uh, we can cut this part of the conversation yeah. out if you want. No, no, this next, <laughs> next question. <laughs> um, was there pressure externally for it to be on the EP and to exist on the EP and for it to be like, you know, this big music industry strategy, like this is your single, it has to be on the EP? Not really. No. Beautiful. Um, yeah, no, Angus, it's it's on the, it's going to be on the on the vinyl because um, that's sort of like a deluxe yeah, thing. Yeah, deluxe. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's just the greatest um, word of all time. I agree. It's a really nice word. Um, but, yeah, no, there was no external pressure to include it, um, which is good. Well, I guess that follows on to my next question. Um, oh, a question I had in the future, but we can ask it now because it makes sense. Is like, and we'll talk about the whole timeline of everything, but 
How was it finding a home for the EP? Because I imagine that's such an important part for you, finding an appropriate home for the EP. Just like, what was that process like? Was that a pretty stressful part? Do you think of the whole recording and, you know, release of it? Just like, you know, what were you thinking about when you were trying to find that home for it? When you say the home, do you mean the label? Yeah, like label, okay, the, cool. the world that it was going to exist in. Yeah, I mean, that that part of it was really stressful because I felt so um I felt so inexperienced and so juvenile and I felt like I was needing to make these big decisions and also these decisions that carried a lot of weight um and there's so many factors that go into it like you know I I had to seriously start thinking about well you know I've made this music I'm really proud of it I need to actually I can't just say yes to any label you know I need to um give it the home that it deserves um and all of that music industry stuff is really challenging I I found especially because I was like I'm 21 yeah (laughs) like I'm a little baby what like how am I supposed to decide this stuff like can't I just give it to someone and then they made they make it really dope and famous like (laughs) like what the hell so yeah, I'm that that part of it I do struggle with. And I think especially in the initial stages, um, because I really do now back my music and I really do um see it like ultimately like uh um carrying me, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do see it like going somewhere um really good. Um, but I guess at the time it was kind of scary because it was in the interim phase of like, well, what if no one actually likes it? Yeah. Um, true. which is, it's hard. And how was it, how was it almost letting go of it both from a creative point of view of, I think this is finished. And then to someone else, it being in their hands and being like, so you're going to release it like, holy shit. Like, how was that process of letting go of like your almost baby, and then it being out in the world, like, how was that for you? Um, I think there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of hesitation and doubt, definitely. Um, you know, I remember messaging Angus and being like, are these songs even good? Angus <laughs> of. Angus of Ang- gallery. Of gallery fame. Yes. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, it, it, it's so tricky because when you finally do send off those masters, you're really putting a piece of yourself out there to yeah. be judged and critiqued. And, you know, once it's out there, you can't take it back. And so it's 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 really scary. And you do have to sort of surrender to the idea that, um, you know, you're really exposing a part of yourself, both like, you know, uh, in terms of yourself as a, a producer, but also like yourself as a person. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what sort of context drove the title of the EP? Um, like, it's a pretty shit. I hate asking, like, where'd you get the name from? But, like, I'm asking, like, where'd you get the name from? Because a lot of people do will just go with the title track for a dance EP and not sort of think about the title as much as they would think about the track titles. Yeah. But yeah what, what led to Middle Ground being appropriate for the music? I think that one thing that I really... A, a style of thinking or a mindset that I always try to um, uh, embody, but the one that I was focusing a lot on whilst writing the EP was 
the idea of um you know a gray area or dialectical thinking and um you know finding a middle ground uh in conflict or in yourself um so I think that that really it was a major theme that I was constantly thinking about when I was writing the EP and so um it it just seemed like the right thing to call it definitely and like having followed you for a little while it's super interesting to see it as middle ground as like even though the sound and your sound is now very well established as this almost like transitional from like he's everything you might know about me and this is like a really much like this is me now and then now it's just like the perfect platform of us mm. like to to begin to build so i think that's like why I, it it resonates so much with me i think that title yeah um, i'm glad yeah and then after that like what was the feeling like after the ep came out and you sort of sat with it and it was comfortable existing in the world you know was it elation at a certain point was it celebration or was it almost like this cursed anxiety and it's that still sits with you almost absolutely the cursed anxiety um i think that just like a birthday actually and it's funny because it was yeah. my birthday you have all this anticipation and you think it's going to be amazing and then you get on the day and you're kind of a bit despondent and you're like you feel a little bit empty um and you feel like it's uh, like it's hard to actually um, conceptualize what it means to have that out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I still am sort of. It's also hard because like I feel like it's such a personal record or such a personal like series of songs. So having it out there does make me feel a little bit exposed. Definitely. Was it like, but there must have been a point where it was like, where you felt like, yeah, I'm on my shit. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it, it I, like, just like everything, finding the middle ground here, <laughs> I, it, you know, there's times when it, like, I, I truly do, like, it's, it's really amazing after, you know, thousands of emails and, you know, uh, all this drama about blah, 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 you know, label stuff. Um, it is amazing to go on my Spotify and like see middle ground EP just sitting there. Um, and you know, it's the support that it's received has just been phenomenal. So definitely like there's, there's just a bit of everything. Like there's that elation and that, um, uh, the self-assurance of, you know, saying like, I've done my thing and there's the, um, uh, like there's a com- the completed feeling, the satisfaction. Definitely. And, but then there's also the, um, like the doubt and the um, like anxious attachment style. Definitely. <laughs> anxious avoidant attachment style. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. And I think this is a perfect follow-up question. I'm very on myself as an interviewer today as well. <laughs> I'm killing it. But we do live in such a bubble in the Australian dance music scene. Like everyone knows everyone's every, like even between cities, like everyone's besties apparently with everybody and don't flame me. Cause I know someone's listening. That's going to be like, <laughs> I'm your bestie. Um, and your EP released at such a unique time in the world with COVID, but it, it, it almost, you didn't have that real factor of like, um, you know, seeing the world to continue to spin around you. And it would have been quite hard. I imagine for you to stay grounded both 
in reflecting on your anxiety and the stress, but also with the celebration and, you know, the idea of ego. Um, totally. Do you think much about being the idea of being grounded and, you know, staying focused and holding your perspective? Like, what do you do to combat the idea of ego and infatuation with like this crazy scene culture? Um, it's a really good question. And I'm glad that we're talking about like the ego of the scene culture. Cause I think it's definitely, it's definitely there. It's definitely present and it's palpable. Um, and it's frustrating that it doesn't get spoken about on like a very, um, surface level. I, uh, I've got my own plethora of like self-esteem issues. So I don't think I ever really. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, 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 no. But that, like, that's, that's how I think I do stay grounded in a lot of ways is that like, I, I don't think that it's like, I could ever really get like a big head or mm. like see myself as like superior in any way because um, like, I, I do stay really self-deprecating. And I, you know, that having that mindset of, you know, like you're good, but you're not that good Yeah, is it's really, I think it's really important. And I think it's, it's something that like does keep me stable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think people dissect enough the cult elements of underground scenes generally, not just dance music, any sort of underground scene. Um, if you look at underground rap scenes, underground Mm. punk scenes whatever there's this constant like i don't know it's like it's it's almost it mirrors the cults almost in terms of like we are the most important thing in the world when there's like you know you're selling 200 tickets to a house (laughs) to a party and it's like oh it's just super interesting to try and dissect that and you know keep that perspective of yes it's important to you know keep these spaces and have these epic moments but like almost at what cost sometimes and yeah, I don't think it gets spoken about or not, like just the general pressure and anxiety and stress that comes with this idea of an underground culture. And like, yeah, yeah. it's super crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think underground culture does breed that sort of um, superiority complex in people because it, it is exclusive by, by definition. And so when you have this subculture that's um, driven by the like its exclusion to the rest of pop culture, it does make a lot of room for a lot of um, like snobbery and uh, like wankers to be perfectly honest. Exactly. Um, So I think uh, like, I just think remembering why you want to do it is the most important facet for me. Um, You know, like remembering why you love it remembering why you're there trying to connect with people on that level um because at the end of the day like who cares what exclusive club you went to or like what doof you were at or like who you've dm'd on instagram like it, it it truly is like very irrelevant at the end of the day and i try to also notice if i'm getting a little bit um like it, it, i try to stay conscious of um those traits in myself and then just like make a joke about it <laughs> definitely yeah and just like true I don't even know I just want to say true like it's so true. yeah like, that's good <laughs> it's good you're doing that it's good you're doing that. thanks um, one thing I forgot about and we'll dive back into the creative process on the EP and utilizing vocals is a unique thing and obviously your early work and that's how you started as like 
someone that, you know, vocal lines led your music and now they drive the tracks, your track, your music now in such a different way, but they're just as potent. Um, just how have you thought about using your vocals over the years on tracks and, you know, how was your idea of the value of a vocal change over time and, you know, where does it sit now? I really, really hate singing on my own tracks um, because it is like, I, I think that anybody who plays an instrument or sings can relate to this where it's, it, it truly listening to yourself sing or, it, you know, making mistakes will truly like um, decimate your ego. Um, so I have over the years taken the focus away from having like a, uh, a orthodox um, lyrical structure and move sort of towards using my voice as an instrument and like using it for vocal texture. Um, and I think in dance music, that is always the kind of music that I'm really drawn to, the kind of vocal style that I'm really drawn to. I think it's quite obvious and um, a bit conspicuous when it's, when someone's pushing too hard for there to be vocals on their track, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it, it can really make the track feel a bit cheap if the vocals aren't in the right style or the right feel. So I just, I, I try to focus on making sure that they um, complement the track in the, you know, in the, the most ideal way. Definitely. And can you believe it? We've been speaking for nearly an hour now. Told you time flies. I actually flies. can't. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess to sort of wrap up the EP talk before we start talking about the future, um, what do you think the most rewarding or challenging song was to write? The Only Way Out is Through was probably the most labour-intensive song. Um, <laughs> I it's it's quite a complex song I guess like uh, as in it moves through a lot of like, complex really complex you wouldn't get it um but you know it, it moves through a lot of different um phases throughout the song and it's it's you know it's eight minutes long um and there's a lot of I was sort of using learning how to use different techniques and also learning how to use my um Moog sub 37 um so I think that because I was learning at the same time as putting the song together, it it was sort of like a twofold in the um, like me gaining the skills to use while simultaneously working them in with the track. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then to sort of cap up the EP on in a, in a really nice way, what do you think the most wholesome or like tear jerking thing has been in since its release? Like what's just stood out to you as like, oh, damn, this is really nice. Um, I, I mean, I've received like a wave of affirmative, like beautiful, um, messages from people that's been really, really lovely. Um, I, and you know, like my family's all listened to it and like all of my colleagues at work have listened to it. Um, so that's, it's been really nice and wholesome. Um, I remember one of my friends, when I saw her on my birthday, she said, because I empathy is a song that I've been working on for like nearly three years now. And she said um, that she was really happy to see empathy in there and that it, it felt like the final, um, like the, the, it felt like closing the book on the story behind it. So I thought that was really cute. 
Beautiful. Um, and that's been pretty girl. And now we're going to get into some of the silly questions because we had a lot of we had a lot of fan questions come in. Oh my god! Yes, ninety nine percent of them were, "Is she single?" Like what? it happens every single time. Every like from people that you're friends with as well. Like from everyone, just like, "Is she single?" Um, to but- other artists. Surely to other artists. Oh, yeah, it happens all oh, the time. Oh, right. Okay, good. <laughs> like, it's like, I just put something up, like, every time <laughs> I put up, like, ask this person, are they single? It's like, it's not your business, all right? This isn't the yeah. parental business. But <laughs> a couple good ones. Um, Paul, Paul Coppola asked, weirdest club interactions? God. Um, oh. I don't know. Oh. This, this this one night I was out at sub club and I was quite drunk and I'd been drunk all day. <laughs> um, and I was just like, it, it was, um, it was Ben UFO B2B with Moopy. And I was just like, you know, just waddling around the stage, just like, like completely alone. I don't know what my friends were. I was just like, ah, ah. and someone, someone was like, is that pretty girl? <laughs> and I turned around and I was like, no, not right now. <laughs> just run away. Not now, bestie. Not now, bestie. You can take not, your pictures later, yeah. No, not as in like, not as in dismissive, like don't even talk to me right yeah. now. I was like, I'm not pretty girl right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, this, this Mimo Kota, this random dude, shout out to him, Mimo Kota 97 asks, and this is probably like a producer head question because I can't translate this. What's on her mix bus usually? Is that the right word to say it? Mix bus. Uh, mix bus. Um, so I'm probably gonna upset some like massive producer heads out there, but I don't mix my own music, really. Um, I don't have a mix bus. I mean, uh, at the risk of sounding kind of uneducated, I I feel like there are like several things that a mix bus can be. Like it can just be like a channel in Ableton. Um uh it can also be like a series of hardware um that you use but yeah i keep it really simple um by sending it off to an engineer beautiful um (laughs) these ones make more sense to me um rosie tilly shout out to rosie tilly asks how did you learn to produce um thank you for the great question rosie (laughs) i learned to produce through youtube um I, yeah, I've, I've never done any sort of like official course or anything like that. I just, I got on YouTube and I would look up specific things that I wanted to learn in Ableton. I never did like a beginner's guide to Ableton video because they're always just really obnoxious and annoying, but I would like go in and specifically look up a question, like how do you make, how do you make audio come out? Um, And then I guess I kind of just, I took my time with it. it. It does, it takes a really long time to learn how to make music. So I think if you're interested, just um, find a door, a digital audio workstation that lo- works for you, um, whether that be like Logic or GarageBand or Ableton, if you dare, or Fruity Loops. <laughs> um, and just, and like be curious as well. Like, um and also don't go in with the attitude that you're immediately going to make amazing music because you're, you're probably not. I definitely didn't. Beautiful. Um, my boy, this person, Ryan 
Cruhan or Croyhan, I don't know how to say names, um, asks, what's the favorite set you've ever played? Um, I, the first time I debuted my new live set, I played it at this little dwarf called Outer Range. Um, and that was, that was really, really fun. I, I, um, some of my friends haven't really heard my live set before and they were all like quite shocked. Um, and that was really nice. Um, and I also, uh, I do, I kind of like a really fun, stupid DJ set. Like I've played some DJ sets where I just end up playing like sugar babes or like yeah. Alexis Jordan. Um, and those tend to be my favorite sets because it's just really fun to get a crowd going. Definitely. And this is like the last question that I got. I don't know if this is like an inside joke or this is just a really weird question, <laughs> but it's from Chech, Chechi, good friend of the show. Mm-hmm. He asks, do you like School of Rock or The Grinch? Um, I, I, I don't know if that would be an inside joke. <laughs> I'm, we're talking about the movies, yeah. yeah. Is it like a which one do I prefer or is it like do I like either of them? <laughs> we should just pass on it. We, we yeah, need to show him that, that is garbage. Yeah. Because <laughs> I need to stay in a job. If all the fans keep asking good questions and I'm out of a job. Yeah, true. And then my final question that I ask everyone this, you're hungover. My set two questions to go. You're hungover, you're hungry, you're just starving and you want something grubby. You just want to like be a grub for this moment in time for lunch the next morning, the next day, lunchtime, that time. What's your go-to takeaway? It can be like a local takeaway or it can be like a big chain takeaway. Like, like what's the meal? What's the the PG grub meal? I... Uh, like I honestly when I wake up really hungover and like thinking I'm gonna die and like need to be taken to hospital my favorite thing to eat is chicken broth like I know <laughs> I'll wake up and be like I need <laughs> I just like wonton noodle soup or um like a vegetable fur or um like I've got a container of my nonna's um like chicken broth in the freezer at the moment and like that that truly is what I crave because it's salty and hot and like I get really nauseous so I can't eat like a big disgusting hamburger (laughs) so it's funny because 90 I I can legit 90 percent of my favorite meat-eating alumni say KFC like everyone says KFC and I'm like same bestie (laughs) correct answer yeah well I so I did one time get KFC after being out all night and where I used to live in reservoir, I was like walking distance from the KFC and I just walked up there like in my Crocs, like put on the wrong foot and like, I'm like barely functioning. And I was like, I hadn't, I hadn't really like eaten KFC before. Um, so I had to stand there for like 20 minutes working out like, what the fuck is all of this? And then, and then I got home and I spilled gravy all over my sheets and I was like, well, it is what it is <laughs> <laughs> and then a final question um which is i think i should have prepped you on this i normally prep people on this so i'm sorry in advance and it is a tough question i do apologize for saying it but um you know i like to look for new guests on parry talks of course we need to keep this thing up and running so just wondering you know who do you think would be good for this platform who would be great to talk to you know who deserves to speak there speak their truth on parry oh, talks really should have prepared me i'm scared <laughs> It, it doesn't have to be one person. It can just be like a. 
these people yeah let me think about it I think that there are younger or sort of newer DJs on the block that are and like I'm conscious that I'm really young as well so like this isn't me being like (laughs) mother dark says that this little chick um I think uh someone who really does um like they're a fantastic DJ but also they really do I think um like their attitude and their their um like passion for dance music and I think they're truly going to be someone who is like a cornerstone of the Melbourne scene is Priya I think um from like the conversations that I've had with them like they are very like and this is what I mean when I say the new DJs of the scene is like they're very fresh faced they're not weighed down by all of this like industry stuff that we've been talking about and I think that it's it's good to um lift people up that aren't already like so embroiled and like weighed down in the the industry and you know what yeah. it means and so yeah I think I think if you were to interview Priya that would be a really good interview beautiful and shout out to them yeah shout out to Priya <laughs> this has been Parry Talks this is Pretty Girl go stream the EP go buy the vinyl soon I assume there'll be a tour soon as well I assume so come to that if you see me at the Sydney show Say hello. Do you know why not? <laughs> Just come down and I assume it's coming unannounced. And I don't have any inside info on this. I'm not spoiling anything, but one day PG will play in Sydney. And if you see me there and you say, I listened that far into that interview, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> Other than that, thank you so much for coming on. We do appreciate yeah. your time on this Tuesday, Thursday afternoon. <laughs> um, but yeah, any final words, any final shout outs or I don't know. Anything that you need to get off your chest? Anything um, you want to say? Thanks everyone for uh, <laughs> myself. Um, no, thanks everyone for listening to me. I don't know what I've said for the past hour, so I hope it was good. <laughs>